Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Ryan Richard. Dr. Richard is originally from Ocala, Florida, did his undergrad studies at Furman University. He's a graduate of the University of Louisville School of Dentistry and the Nova Southeastern University College of Dental Medicine. He is board certified in orthodontics and dentofacial orthopedics and now practices at Family Orthodontics in the area. Ryan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Ross. Good to see you. (laughs) You too, bud. Let's start by asking this question. When did you know you wanted to become an orthodontist and what appealed to you about this profession? Well, my story is a little different in that I truly never thought about dentistry or orthodontics growing up. I did have an inclination to go into the healthcare field. And all I knew was medical school at that point. So going into college, you know, that was the plan, pre-med path and planning to go to medical school. And my summer after my second or third year, you know, I was doing some shadowing in the hospitals, pad up the resume for the applications. And towards the end of one summer, I was with a anesthesiologist named Dr. Tish, and he pulled me aside and uh, basically told me not to come to the hospital anymore that summer. He said, you need to go. If I were you, I would consider shadowing your dentist, shadowing some dental specialists. And he basically went into a conversation about the fact that his friends were happier, sort of jealous of his friends' lives, and that it would serve me well to perhaps think about switching gears. So that was the first time I had thought about it and heard about it. And I did what he said. I spent the rest of the summer shadowing dentists and people in the dental specialty field and went back to school that fall, having changed my mind based on my time that I spent there and kind of considering pros and cons that he laid out for me. And that's kind of where I had that transition to heading down the path to go to dental school. So that's the dental school part. And then when I got to dental school, um, initially, I was really kind of drawn to oral surgery and thought, I, you know, that'd be a cool specialty for me to pursue. Well, a couple of years into dental school and started the oral surgery internships and spending more time in the clinic. And I realized that some of the reasons that I had gone to dental school were starting to get negated by the time and hours and work involved in the oral surgery sector. So I took a step back, reconsidered and decided, you know, I want a better lifestyle. Not that oral surgeons have bad lifestyles because they're great, but started reconsidering things and did an orthodontic externship for that last half of the summer. And I mean, that just sealed the deal. I loved it. And from that point on, put all my efforts into trying to get into ortho residency and it worked out, thankfully. So oral surgery was too much like traditional medicine, shall we say, that you originally were shadowing and you're like, ah, I need to go further away from medicine. Exactly. You know, the call, the longer hours, residency is quite a bit longer four to six years versus two to three for orthodontics. Oh, wow. And orthodontics really ultimately just kind of suited my personality a little bit better. Okay. Now you spent some time volunteering and with, you know, Colgate, Bright Futures and Bright Smiles. You've done some Habitat for Humanity and some dental mission trips. Talk about some of those experiences and what that did for you and why that's important. 
Well, that's something that I did have done in the past, and I need to actually become more involved in that and implement you know, some more um, altruistic service endeavors uh, into my current lifestyle. But um, they were great experiences. You know, the one that I took to uh, Dominican Republic was a real eye-opener. And I think just we're all so blessed to have our lives and our professions. And when you get to take the time to go, especially a third world country, and just, you know, see the life through a different lens and from a different perspective, it's you're helping other people, but it's also very helpful to you yourself just to kind of reset the focus on things. I think it's important to expose ourselves and our children to need because we are so blessed here in the United States. Mm -hmm. I remember I took my daughter to um, rural Peru on a mission trip a few years ago in December. And when we got back, she didn't ask for anything for Christmas. (laughs) So it was interesting. Uh, So you're right. It's, It's really important to do that. Now, your situation is a little bit different than a lot of the people we've interviewed on the podcast. You don't currently own your own practice. You work for a corporate orthodontist. So talk a little bit about that dynamic, why you chose that route, what the future holds for you in, in that regard. Sure. Um, I have now been with this corporate entity practice for eight years, and that is much longer than I expected to be. When I finished residency, I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to live, settle down, not married. So I didn't really have ties to a specific area. So I was, I was pretty flexible. And Atlanta was on my list of potential cities to live in. And it was just good timing that when I finished, there was an opening at a group practice in Atlanta. And my initial thoughts were I'd, I'd go in and probably do the traditional stay a year or two, keep my eyes open for a practice to buy or maybe to join. And I think I've just had a very fortunate experience working for, I guess, a DSO is what you classify it as. I know there's a lot of bad press on associateships with DSOs, and the majority of people I talk to aren't actually very happy with their experience. But it's been great for me. You know, I've, I've had full autonomy. I've worked in two offices. I've done two offices for years now. And long-term plans have yet to be established, but I don't necessarily think I'll be working in this situation forever. I still would like to you know, do my own thing, open a practice. I'm always looking for that. I'm always looking for opportunities. But the DSO has treated you so well, you necessarily haven't been in a hurry to leave. And so you're kind of looking for the perfect opportunity, if you will. Is that right? Right. I'm kind of fortunate in that I don't feel pressured or forced or a desire to leave necessarily. And they've treated me really well. And it's been a real positive experience. I've got a chance to you know, pretty much run the office without interference treat tons of patients, see tons of cases, and kind of take my time in, in looking for the right fit. Great. Now, as an associate, how did 2020, i.e. coronavirus, COVID-19, affect you versus maybe if you had been a practice owner? Well, I probably had a lot less stress in my life. I mean, for me, I got a two-month vacation, and um, it was a little bit awkward in that I was on unemployment uh, because the the practice basically furloughed everybody and the HR department for our company, you know, put all the doctors and basically every employee, they filed uh, unemployment on their behalf. So, you know, I got a little government help to pay the bills for those two months. And there was, there were some scary times, I, I would say probably a month in where I wondered, I and mean, we all wondered how long it would go on. Would the practice be able to sustain things? 
because my group is pretty large and they've expanded pretty aggressively. So there was a bit of concern, you know, whether it'd be around when I came back. I have a bit of an equity position in the practice. So, you know, personally, I wanted to see them succeed. But outside of those things, you know, I was uh, a bit lucky. I didn't have much on my plate to worry about and have to organize as far as applying for PPP loans and, uh, you know, worrying about a staff and that sort of thing. Right. That's one of the benefits of being an associate is you kind of get the best of both worlds in that, in that regard. Exactly. Yep. So you mentioned that you have an equity position. So do most DSOs offer that to associates? I'm not sure entirely if that's, I haven't heard of it being the norm. I haven't either. That's why I ask. I mean, what's your, what's your situation without going into details, but what, what's your situation generally like? Well, initially when I started, they weren't offering it. I tried to convince them of that tried to negotiate it for a couple of years, first two or three years that I worked there. It wasn't successful. And then I think my third year there, they decided they were going to open up a opportunity for full-time doctors to you know invest. So in my eyes, I thought it was a great opportunity. And if to me, it made sense that if I didn't have skin in the game in my own practice and wasn't growing some sort of equity, and I was going to stay an associate, I mean, by, it really made a lot of sense to take advantage of this opportunity. So I've done, you know, basically the way it's set up is they've had an annual opportunity to invest. And I feel confident in the company, so I've, I've continued to do so. That's exciting. So one of the challenges, you know, as a physician or dentist, you tend to be in a, a higher income bracket than most people. So one of the challenges is um, being in a higher income bracket is, like the, the notorious B.I.G. song years ago, more money, more problems. So one of the challenges is, you know, there's more moving parts financially. There's more taxes. How have you been able to navigate that? You know, you don't have kids, so you don't have those things. I call my kids money eaters. But how have you been able to, to navigate that with, you know, do you have professional advisors? I mean, you know, taxes, tax accountants, people like that. How important is it for you to, to work with those types of people, to trust those types of people, to look to them for assistance? Those types of people are invaluable. And, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I wish I had a team around me and had met people, experts in those areas early on. I mean, the first handful of years that I worked, I did not, unfortunately, come across anyone in my life who you know, maybe guided me towards those sorts of people. And it's just a process of, you know, meeting people. But in the last couple of years, it's been really important to, as you said, you know, deal with this tax issue. It's a good problem to have. But, um, you know, finding a, a knowledgeable accountant who likes to think outside the box has been a huge win. And, you know, working with some various advisors in the, the fields of insurances and uh, investments, that sort of thing, you know, it's been huge. So I can't I can't recommend that enough to others out there. And you're a pretty sophisticated guy because um, you're a successful stock market investor on your own, and you're still saying, hey, I need other advisors. Correct. I mean, there's, there's more to it than just the stock and equities market. So um, while that's part of it, I want to make sure I'm diversified and be talking so, to these people who, can, who, right. can, who know about areas outside of my expertise, you know. So what do you see, I mean, you've been through a lot and you've been practicing, you've been working there for eight years now. So you've been practicing how long? 
Eight years. Eight years. So yeah, from the start, you've seen an evolution. In, I mean, a lot of things have changed in eight years. What do you see as some of the challenges and evolutions happening just from a dental or orthodontic world standpoint moving forward? And even like post-corona, mm-hmm. what do you see coming? You know, post-corona, well, like when we got back in the swing of things and opened up the office uh, it very quickly, at least in the state of Georgia and Atlanta, just went back to normal. Uh, the only protocols that were really different were just the amount of patients we're allowing in the waiting room. You know, we're, we're having parents stay out of the clinic. Obviously, we're dressed up in our PPE a little more than we used to be. But other than that, it's kind of business as usual, and it's, it's been really busy. Part of that might be people with the disposable income from these government stimuluses. It's probably part of it. As far as the future of orthodontics specifically, um, there's a lot of change in the field, which uh, I think projects a much different future than what we've seen. Uh, private equity and DSO are becoming a huge part. And from my perspective as a buyer looking for opportunities out there, you know, the market's very thin. And these days, you know, practicing doctors who are looking to retire and sell, I don't blame them. It's hard to pass up the carrot being dangled in front of them from a private equity group offering a huge multiple on their EBITDA versus a private doctor looking to buy practice the, you know, the usual way, the old school way. Um, so that's affected my thoughts on the future. You know, it's so hard to find a decent practice to buy. I find myself sometimes leaning towards just doing a startup. Right. How has the uh, industry evolved as you get more of these online only type of teeth straightening things, whether it's a small direct club, you see the commercials all the time. How is that from a competitive standpoint affecting the go see the orthodontist type service? I don't know if uh, it's hard to quantify just yet. It's still pretty new, but without a doubt, it's going to have a huge impact. I mean, orthodontists are going to have to work harder. And you know, <laughs> in the past, we were the only guys on the block that were straightening teeth. And, um, you know, it started with, you know, the onset of clear liners and Invisalign and, you know, other dental professionals are providing that service and which is, is a good thing. You know, it's not, I don't think that was a, a huge hit to the specialty, but the online, um, you know, Smile Direct Club and now there's numerous, I mean, it seems like there's a new new company coming out every month that's doing online clear aligners. You know, I think it just, it's a shame. It kind of waters down the profession and, a lot of the population, due to the clever and savvy marketing of these companies, they've just a huge marketing budget. Oftentimes, those are their first their first go to uh, places that they're going to go seek care. How many people come to see you after doing a small direct club? It's got to be probably one a month. I see it's pretty frequent. I would say at least one consult a month is post, you know, Smile Direct or online liner company that that wasn't happy with their with their outcome and they started their treatment and really never saw a practitioner and you know it's not surprising i think they uh they don't do the greatest job of you know treatment plan cases i'm sure it'll get better but yeah it happens yeah so going back a little bit to the the coronavirus situation we talked about a couple minutes ago you know if you own a practice it's important to have a cushion for situations like that but if you don't own a practice and you're an associate, it's still an important to have a have a cushion, you know, whether you call it a rainy day fund or whatever you want to call it, in the event something like this happens. What has been your philosophy or your thoughts on having enough of a cushion to weather a storm 
like a shutdown? Probably should have more of a specific answer for you to this, you know, but just in general, I agree. You know, you need to save. You need to have a little bit of an emergency fund for the rainy day, as you put it. I think it's just prudent to, uh, you know, have some liquid capital in case you need it in those instances. I mean, 100% agree. So eight years in, eight years seems like a long time. But it was by fast. Yeah, I had someone tell me the other day that the, the days take forever, but the years fly by. And I thought that was great. So how has your perspective changed in eight years on orthodontics and just life? I feel lucky and really blessed to be able to say eight years into practicing orthodontics that I love it just as much as I did when I started. I like it every single day I do it. And I can look you straight in the face and say, I've honestly never in my life had a, had a single day where I didn't want to go to work. And I just dreaded having to go straighten teeth, you know, or That's great. see 90, see all these patients in a day and manage the staff. I mean, eight years in, I'm just truly, truly happy and blessed to be able to do it. So, and I expect it to continue, you know, I expect, I don't have a, you know, an end game where I just can't wait to retire and hang it up. You know, I, in my eyes, I'll probably do it as long as I can unless something were to change, but I don't really see that happening. As far as general life philosophies, well, I don't know if I'm prepared to have anything prepared for that, but, uh, you know, I'm just a lifelong learner. I'm a big reader. I love picking people's brains, meeting people smarter than me and reading books and listening to interviews and podcasts and just constantly trying to improve. You know, I just think that's a very cool part of life that I embrace. Well, along those lines, I always ask everyone, what is the best book you've read recently or what are you currently reading? I know you're a big reader. So what is either the best you're reading? 10 books currently going. Oh, geez, that's serious. What's the best book you've read recently? I just started really interesting. It's a huge book. It's almost like a coffee table book. It's called Poor Charlie's Almanac. And it's actually by Charlie Munger. Yeah, Charlie Charlie Munger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's modern day Ben Franklin and that's his kind of mentor in a sense. But um, the guy's just full of timeless wisdom on so many, in so many areas, not just investing. I've just started actually, but I'm enjoying flipping through that book. Another book I'll throw out there is a book called Resilience. And it was written by a Navy SEAL who post SEALs Went to Oxford, I think, got a degree in philosophy and um, something else. Really thoughtful, insightful guy. And the book's broken down into a bunch of kind of short chapters, which represent letters that he had written to a, one of his fellow Navy SEALs and uh, that was in his uh, brigade or his team. And the friend that he's writing to is having a tough time adjusting to life, coming back post-war. And just really all areas of life he he touches on. And each letter is kind of his words of wisdom and guidance to his friend, kind of walk him through the trenches and get him out of that place he was in. But, you know, it's applicable to anybody. And there's just a lot of gold in there. Oh, wow. I highly recommend great. that one. Oh, that's good. I'll check that one out. So a uh, couple more questions for you. Uh, kind of going back to money. What does the term financial health mean to you? Um, financial health means... Financial health is establishing savings for a rainy day. It's it's having savings as well as liquidity to participate in various investments as they come along. It's being diversified on a few different levels from 
we can get into details, but just just general, just have, being diversified among investments. And, you know, I think uh, also, this probably isn't said often, but an aspect of financial health is, for me, I want to be cognizant and aware of the concept of the utility of money. And the utility of money is something that I think a lot of people forget about. I'm still young, but as I try to be financially healthy and savvy and, you know, grow my net wealth, I want to not forget about life and forget that it goes quickly. And I want to set myself up in a way where I have utility of that wealth and money that I accumulate over the years and, and, and use it because, you know, it's just a huge world with so many interesting things. I like to travel. I want to learn about other cultures. I want to immerse myself in unique things other than just the everyday, go to the office, you know, make money, put it in the bank, do the same thing over and over again. And before you know it, you're 65, 70 and your utility of money, that's gone away and that's decreased quite a bit because you can't do the same things you could do when you were younger. So it's just trying to find the balance. I think financial health is trying to find the balance as you work, as you grow to also enjoy life. Yeah, that's good. Money is a tool. We forget that a lot. Um, yeah. Last question. Any mentors that really had an impact on your life as you've, as you've gone along in the orthodontic world? Yeah. I mean, specifically, I can't throw a specific name out there, but I'm just grateful to, you know, over the years, of course, through the training, I've met professors who I just have learned bits and pieces from many people and kind of put it all together to kind of make it my own. So it's not lost on me to appreciate all the people I've crossed paths with in my orthodontic training. And um, otherwise, outside of orthodontics, I have to say uh, I've developed kind of a mentorship friendship with an individual that I speak to every month. And he's really teaching me a lot of things that I never learned in school um, that are really outside of my comfort zone. Just to give you an example, we talk about world economics, investments, real estate, kind of global issues. He's a European citizen and lives in Europe. And um, it's just nice to hear his thoughts and perspectives on on things. It's quite a bit different from, you know, people in your own country. So this guy's name is Tio. And um, yeah, we just developed a very valuable relationship where I'm learning a lot from him. That's fantastic. Uh, That's great. I mean, it's so important to have uh, people like that in our lives. So well, Ryan, it's been super interesting speaking with you today. I want to thank you for uh, being a part of the uh, Financial Flossing Podcast. And everyone, you've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, and we can't wait to see you next time. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. 
2021 1195.35 expires 423. That last part can also say 2021 1195.35 expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor at Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032, California Insurance License Number 0L10073, 2021122380, expiration June 2023. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.